it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 460 for October 18th, 2016. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is returning to the show. One of my favorite people on the internet, Shelly Brisbane, author of the book, iOS Access for All. How are you doing today, Shelly? Oh, thank you. I'm I'm doing great. How are you, Allison? Well, I think I should actually be your uh, marketing assistant because I've been telling every podcast that uh, you're on. As soon as you're on a show, I write to them and say, more Shelley. Oh, I like it. That's great. <laughs> I was listening I- to you on Clockwise and I wrote to uh, Jason and Dan and said, OK, anytime you're thinking have Allison on, change it to Shelley because that's Aww. even better. <laughs> well, that's that's that makes me blush over here. Aww. My little <laughs> With any luck, we're going to see you on uh, the Daily Tech News show sometime soon the rumor. That's, yeah. I hope that happens. I, I, I got a camera for it and everything. Oh, sweet, <laughs> sweet. All right. Well, so um, I wanted to have Shelly on this time uh, to talk about self-publishing. So I mentioned that she's got a book called iOS Access for All, and we've actually talked about that on the show before. Uh, but the, the process of publishing is fascinating to me because I know absolutely nothing about it. So I guess start at the beginning. Where, where did this whole story begin of you actually writing books? Well, back in the day, I worked at uh, Mac user. God, it's so long ago, it seems, uh, in the 90s. And I had a goal, even while I was happily writing about Macs all day long, I wanted to write a book very badly. And I wanted to do that by the time I was 40. And I didn't know when my days at Mac user would be over. But uh, circumstances uh, made it such that I left Mac user. uh, And very shortly thereafter, I got a book agent. And by the time I was 35, I wrote my first book, which was a book on Adobe. Well, it wasn't even Adobe at that point. It was Go Live Cyber Studio, which was a Ooh. very early WYSIWYG web development tool. And I was excited. I loved it because it was long form. I, I felt like a big project like a book works the way my brain works. I like long outlines. I like planning things that over the course of a few uh, weeks or maybe even months as opposed to like get that article done today. So I really got into writing books and I ended up writing about 12 general interest tech books that had to do with Macs mostly. I also wrote some about web development. I wrote about wireless networking, all fun things like that. Wow. I had no real, no idea that you were that prolific. That, well, that I did a lot. Like when I left Mac user and came back home to Texas, and really the reason I did that was because I was super homesick. And then Mac user decided to go away thereafter. But I, I was homesick. But I so I was freelancing for all my friends back at the Mac magazines. But I also was just really enamored of the process of writing books, and I loved doing it. And and so it was it was a number of years that I I did this over. But um, what would happen is you'd write one book and then a new version of the software would come out, which would make you very happy and you'd write another book. So that, that's, that accounts for some of the prolific. Oh, so these were dead tree books back then, right? Oh, yes. Paper books. I mean, you're only 37 now, right? Precisely. How did you know? <laughs> Paper books published by big companies, most of whom have merged. It's like everything else in the, the technology world. They, they merge and combine. And, and uh, the, the process was that you would make a proposal to the company, the publishing company, and say, hey, I've got a really great idea for a book about a piece of software or about the Mac. Uh, Here's my proposal. Here's who I think will buy the book. Here's my outline. And they would give you a contract to write it, and you would spend like three months writing it, and you'd do it in Word, and you would send files back and forth to an editor who would mark them up, and you would make corrections, and it was all done in Word, and then voila, a month or two later. So it took a really long time. They would turn all those Word files into paper books and you get a box of books in the mail. And that was very exciting. Oh, I bet. I bet. Unless you ended up with a bunch of extra. Now, back then, was that when um, you got paid after they paid off all the publishing costs first? 
you always had an advance. And that was the nice thing about having an agent because you could usually negotiate slightly better advances. And that way you could plan, well, this is how I'm going to keep the lights on because I know that there's an advance for a quarter of the the agreed upon amount. And then there's another quarter and another quarter. And then when the book started to sell, your royalties were taken out of that advance until the advance was paid off. So you never had to give your advance back if the books didn't sell, period. That didn't ha- ever happen okay. to me in any case. But once well, you started great selling, books, I'm sure. once you started selling more books than your advance, then you got to keep not more of the profit, but you got you got a check. You know, a random check would show up, and that was the funny thing about it because it was super random. You didn't you know wait on the first of the month for a check. It was oh look, the book checks are here, and you never knew how much you were going to get. <laughs> now, can I ask back then what the percentage uh, royalty the author gets? Oh, let me. Well, it varied. That was another thing. You would negotiate it based on the number of copies sold. So the first number of copies would get a smaller percentage rate, and the next set of copies would get a higher percentage rate. I don't remember what the rates were, but you could usually count on making a buck and a half on a. Oh, that's no, it's not. It was. It was more than that. I, I can't remember. But okay. if a book's if a book sold for twenty bucks, you were getting significantly less than half of that. But mm-hmm. um, then you had to pay your agent and stuff like that. But why is I don't know why the buck and a half is sticking in my head. I think that might have been some extrapolated number I came up with, but uh, you know. So here you've got this great agent, you've got uh, these publishing companies, but then you stepped away from that to self-publishing. What happened? Well, you know what? Dead tree books are not so much a thing anymore. <laughs> and also the software business has changed too, and and the the interest in people buying pieces of paper that they would use to learn about their computers. That's not so much a thing anymore. Mm. But, uh, and so publishers weren't producing as many. Obviously, there's still books out there. You know, Riley is still making books with animals on the cover, and that's really great. <laughs> and you, you can find those books. A lot of them are distributed electronically in addition to in paper form. But it meant that there were just fewer books out there, fewer people were writing them, fewer people were getting them published. And I, having not published a book in quite some time was really feeling that I missed that kind of long form project. And so I did talk to a couple of publishers and I said, Hey, I really would like to write a book about iOS accessibility because I had written all these great sort of mainstream books, but I had never really covered accessibility, which is something I use in my own personal life. I'm low vision. And so I would always come up with workarounds for using Mac OS and iOS. And I had never, ever written about it in all the 20, 25 years that I've been writing books and writing magazine articles. And I wanted to do it, but there wasn't really any interest in publishing it, both because, like I say, the dead tree books weren't a thing anymore, and also just because publishers were afraid that it wouldn't be something that they could sustain, uh, get sell enough copies of. So that's kind of where it started. Okay. All right. So um, it, it, it's kind of interesting that at the time, in 2012, accessibility was probably not a big topic. But I, th- I would suspect that that's kind of flipped nowadays, That's it's in vogue to have things be accessible. I think in 2012, the people who were using accessibility knew it was a big topic. It had been a big topic, frankly, since right before iOS became accessible in 2009, because the Mac had gotten accessible with Tiger earlier on, and more and more blind folks particularly were starting to use Macs because they finally could. And then when iOS became accessible, the floodgates opened. But in 2012, we were the only people that knew about it were the people that were using it. And there wasn't as much knowledge of or attention to it in sort of the mainstream world. And, you know, Apple did a lot to kind of promote accessibility as a thing. They, they had it long before they promoted it. And so all of a sudden, when Apple did more to promote it, 
people in the mainstream world became more aware of it. And then people like me just started agitating and started becoming a burr under the saddles of <laughs> podcasters and writers. And you'd call them up and you'd go, hey, what about accessibility? And they would go, what about it? And <laughs> so, so, so for me, it was like I didn't. I wasn't writing any sort of wave in terms of other people being interested in it, which is probably why the publishers were like, yeah, that's a nice idea, but what are you going to sell four copies? I didn't have any way to quantify the market for them. And even though it wasn't a matter of how many books do you print on paper, there are still costs associated with producing a professional book. And so um, I kind of thought they were wrong, but I also figured if I published it myself, if I did a good job of it, I'd keep more of the money and it would be more worth my while that if I were working for or with a publisher. So that's the way I kind of made myself feel better about this sort of big limb I was walking out onto. Yeah. You know, I, uh, when I did my blindfolded presentation at, at Macworld that one year, I, uh, the, the opening thing I, I said was that at the time there were, I think it was a third, the number of people on Facebook were either uh, low vision or, uh, or uh, hearing impaired. And my, my pitch was, would you like to have access to a third the number of the people on Facebook? Now, of course, there's 12 billion people on Facebook, so that metric doesn't work. <laughs> but at the time, that's how big the community was that you could be you could be pushing. And uh, actually, that wasn't the blindfold one. It was a different one that I did for Blog World, where it was about how to increase your audience through accessibility. Mm-hmm. Well, I felt like uh, the thing about iOS accessibility, too, and well, all the stuff that Apple has done with VoiceOver and other accessibility features as well is that there really was a palpable excitement about it. So it wasn't just, okay, I can turn on my computer and it works, because blind people have been able to use computers for many, many years in in the Windows environment with screen readers, and there have been other accessibility tools. But VoiceOver was leaps and bounds ahead because not only could you use your machine yourself independently, but you could set it up independently. So a lot of people would go to the Apple Store and buy a Mac or buy an iPhone and they would be off and running, and they would—they were totally self-taught, just like most of the rest of us who are Mac users were totally self-taught. And you could listen to podcasts back in the day and talk to <laughs> friends who had just switched over to Macs or who still had a PC on their desk because they weren't sure whether this was going to work, and you could just hear the excitement in their voices about how this was built in, it didn't cost them a lot of money, it was easy to set up and install, and it was easy to run, and of course, oh, wait a minute, why Why would you need a book if it's all that easy to run? I didn't think about stuff like that. I figured, well, <laughs> there's got to be a book in there somewhere because there always is. Right, right, right. So, okay, so now you're going to self-publish. How, how did you figure out how to do that? Well, I did a lot of research both in the topic area and also just like how one physically self-publishes. And one of the first things I found was a book. Now, this is funny to me because I am not somebody who is motivated a lot by inspiration. Like I don't, I don't dig aphorisms on Twitter and Facebook and I'm not, I'm not motivated by a lot of the sort of spirit of entrepreneurship and that kind of stuff. I'm real super practical. I'm a, I'm a nerd and I like to know, yeah, but what are the technical details? And so I found this book uh, called uh, APE, Author, Publisher, Entrepreneur by Guy Kawasaki. And Guy Kawasaki of course, is known for being an an inspirational, motivational kind of dude. Like if you hear him speak, he's going to tell you how you can do it and how it's awesome and how it's amazing. And because he comes out of Apple after all. 
And so I was very skeptical that this book would have any practical value for me, but it had been recommended to me. It's one of the best resources I ever had in terms of self-publishing because it walks you through step by step. A lot of the steps I knew, but I didn't know the details. Like it answered very specific questions about the royalty rates at different uh, ebook on uh, places like uh, the iBook store and Amazon and all the sort of nitty gritty details you wanted. It suggested software tools for how you could build the book. It suggested ideas for how you could promote the book. And so even though there were pieces of advice I didn't end up taking, I used a lot of the, the outline of the book and the thinking in the book to sort of construct my plan for the book. And so that was the first and also encouraged me because I felt like there was, and he wasn't even specific to technology books. He was saying, you know, you write your novel, write your how-to book, or whatever it is. But it was it was general enough that I felt like anybody could benefit from it. But specific enough that it answered my nitty gritty questions about how much money am I going to make if I sell an iBooks? Can I actually sell books on my own website? Is that going to work? What are the steps to make that happen? Oh, so wow. that was really that was where deep. I started. Huh. So, okay, so now it's, uh, we're in 2012 and you're going to write a book. What do you, what do you, what kind of tools do you use to do that? So, uh, obviously a Mac person, it was, it was always going to be all the way on the Mac. We didn't, we didn't write on iPads completely yet. I, I, you know, you had them and you could supplement, but, but it was all Mac based. And so the first thing I did was find out that, uh, pages would export to EPUB. And I had figured out both reading Guy's book and just research in accessibility circles that EPUB was probably the best format to publish in. It was the most accessible. Uh, the DAISY format, which uh, creates audio books that have uh, chapter bookmarking and, that, and headings and the like, uh, is ba- are based on EPUBs. And so oh. I knew that if I wanted to convert to DAISY, I could do it by creating an EPUB first. So, so EPUB, EPUB is an open source uh, format, yes. right? It's or yeah, a EPUB, non-commercial, nobody owns it thing. Right. There's an EPUB consortium that comes up with all the rules and um, it is used by in iBooks. So if you buy a book from the iBook store, it hap- it is an EPUB. Well, they do. Oh. It, it's yeah. And so uh, there are proprietary forms of EPUB, but the EPUB in general is an open source format. So I knew so, I could sell it in iBooks. So I knew can, I could. Can you can you smear DRM all over it? You can. I okay. didn't. Okay. And actually, as it happened, the fact that others did not do it was to my great benefit. When <laughs> we'll get to that shortly, but okay. uh, I I didn't want to DRM it. I didn't see much real benefit from it, and I also knew I wanted to sell more places than one, and so I didn't want to be stuck with Apple DRM. As you basically DRM in, in EPUB means you hit a checkbox, which is kind of weird. I always wonder if it's really DRM or if it's just <laughs> what. But okay, I've hit the checkbox. Obviously, I've created great copy protection. So if you uh, had I, chosen iBooks author, that would have really limited you to iBooks, right? Correct, because you can't use that software and sell elsewhere. And that was unfortunate. Sell on your own website. Maybe you yeah. can only download on your website, but not sell from there. Right, right. You could distribute free. And there were a lot of issues with iBooks author anyway. And I actually talked to a few publishing people and I had gone to Macworld and a number of publishing sessions as well and just, just sort of said, hey, what do you guys think about iBooks author? And a couple people that I really respected said, stay away, stay away, Aww. which was fortuitous. I think it's better now, but it was fortuitous because I knew that I wanted to sell the book somewhere outside of iBooks. So I just, you know, doubled down on pages. I liked pages. I knew I could work within it. The first thing I did was, and this is where having published a lot of books with other people 
came into play. I decided what my styles were going to be, what what it was going to physically look like, but also what were the rules. I was going to have figures that looked a certain way. I was going to have boxes with tips in them. I was going to have step-by-steps. I was going to have this many levels of headings. You decided that be- before starting to write? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay, that, that definitely shows an understanding of what goes into making a book. I would have thought one of the things I always try to do is get my content done first because it's more fun to me to look at the styles. <laughs> and so I'm afraid that I do that as a procrastination technique. It's one of the reasons I don't like using PowerPoint to create a presentation. I might end up with that as the final product, but I try to just write first and get the ideas together in some other way that has no formatting. That's interesting. You do it the other way around. I'm sure, well, I don't, not completely. I mean, I'm sure I built an outline first. I like Omni Outliner and I, I built my outline of what okay. chapters needed to be in there. And that's how I decided, well, how many levels of subheadings am I probably going to have? I, you know, give or take a few. And then I was able to take the information from Omni Outliner and develop elements, which is, like I say, that is absolutely from having worked with publishers because all of them had, all the publishing companies had specific elements. If you wrote a dummies book, you had to do this kind of sidebar. If you wrote a a Mac Answers book, you had to write this kind of tip with a little inset and with a little image and all that kind of stuff. Interesting. So you created your own element set of this is what a book by Shelley is going to look like. Right. And there, there were two things that were very important in that process because accessibility was key and because I knew a lot of people were going to be low vision users I decided to create pretty large fonts for the book and also to find a font that was very legible and a lot of the EPUB consortium discussion talks about what kind of fonts and specifically what fonts there are fonts that you see more often in ebooks because they're just sort of you know derriere a lot of people like them and and EPUB like uh, CSS on the web has the ability to default to certain fonts if the fonts that you've chosen are not present. And I knew all that kind of stuff. And so I spent a lot of time finding a font that I liked and also finding one that looked good at 14 or 16 point because I wanted my body text to be big so that even if you could zoom on your iDevice, if you were low vision, that you had and you didn't feel like when you saw this giant page of text that you couldn't read it, that you could pe- pick it up and look at it. And if you needed to zoom in more, you could but that it was, you know, but that the was default an, an wouldn't be the enhanced level of accessibility for folks that had were low vision. So, you know, personally, it, I would I would really like it if the whole world, everybody who ever developed anything that was seen by somebody's eyes at the very least had to hire somebody over 40 to look at it first before they were allowed <laughs> to publish it. I mean, I just you listen, Johnny Ive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, ever since I heard this uh, interview with the creator of Wired magazine, where he talked about how proud they were of their crazy font choices. And the very first thing I couldn't read as my close vision disappeared was Wired magazine because they would do like a shiny silver reflective font on a gold background. You know, it was like they hated everybody over 40. I actually stopped do you remember reading their Braille cover. Do you remember when they did a Braille cover? No. They got so much grief for their grief for their typography and all that kind of fancy stuff that one month they did a white cover with just one word in Braille on it because they were jerks. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 one of my other pet peeves is, is uh, in engineering, there's a thing called form, fit, and function. Those are the three things you have to do. And form so often over is overplayed where fit and function don't exist. And my favorite example is at the gym I go to, normal gyms, you go in, you bring your stupid old lock, master lock you've had since you were 12, and you hook it through a little hole and you know the, you know the combination, right? 
Well, these guys went through and they they got rid of those kind of lockers and they put these beautiful wood lockers with these these uh, brushed chrome uh, uh, lock areas with with little tiny dials with little tiny numbers nobody over forty can read. So <laughs> you know, so good. it's a high end gym where people are are. Ten- I got in when it was three hundred bucks a year, so I I am not paying the high end prices. But the people who who can afford to go there are pretty old. And so you see these women like hooking their glasses on the outside or they have to go get a teenager to read them their number. I mean, it, sorry. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be about accessibility. It's supposed to be about that, the books. That's OK. But but here, as an aside, an idea I have and I think I'm going to do it is accessibility for people who don't have like actual disabilities, but who may have age related vision loss or whatever, because I talk to so many people who are like, I can't read this device or I have to. And I always I have a solution for them. And they mm-hmm. always they sort of balk at it because usually it involves opening accessibility settings. And so I have this idea for an article or something where I, or a pamphlet where I say, there's stuff in accessibility settings for you, even if your vision loss is just related to age and doesn't have some sort of diagnosis. I, I think that would be really, really interesting, Shelley. And the first one I'd like to know is what do I do about the fact that uh, the iPhone is polarized the same as sunglasses so that if it's in portrait mode and you wear bifocal sunglasses, you can't read outside. Oh, that's hard for. I'm going to have to research that one. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I mean, I thought about asking my sunglasses manufacturer to change and I thought, well, they're not going to do that because it's polarized this way for a reason. Apple could polarize it the other way. And if every app allowed it to work in uh, in landscape, I'd be fine. But my phone is dark, dark gray when it's vertical and it's pretty clear when it's sideways. That is interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting back to book publishing. So this is really interesting. Starting with that, that perspective of making sure that people will be able to actually read what you wrote is even if it weren't about accessibility, that sounds like a terrific first step. It also just made me feel good when I I had, if not a, I did have a design in mind. And so whenever I would write in the document template that I created, I could sort of see it coming to life because that's the other thing about EPUB. When you're working on the screen, what you see in in a doc in an app, in an app like Pages somewhat approximates what you're going to get out, as opposed to when you're writing in Word and it's going to be on paper eventually. It's going to go through InDesign or whatever app they use for desktop publishing. And so I liked I was using the fonts that I wanted to output in when I was working in Pages. The other thing, and I just have to point this out here because there are several places in this story where these guys absolutely come into play. One of my real role models for producing this book was the Take Control series from Adam and Tanya Angst, who do such tremendous uh, books. They're all eBooks. They have a great business. And they also, they have mastered the art of simplicity in design, but that is incredibly functional. And when you thumb through one of their eBooks, it's easy for you to find your place. They have very minimal design elements, but that also guide your eye to where it needs to go. They have tips. They have step-by-steps. And I I didn't copy what they did, but I was very definitely inspired by what they did in terms of, hmm. because it was the same kind of content. It was, how do I make this thing that I have work? And so I'm I, really I, I... to hear you say that because uh, I haven't actually read any of their books, but their website is like 1983 design elements. So I'm surprised to hear that they do a good job on that. The, Sorry, their site but, doesn't look very much like their books. Actually, I, that's a fair point. I, I think I think there's a lot of, there's a lot going on in that site, and uh, and, and I, think, I think it's intentional. I mean, I think that's part yeah. of their thing is that they've been doing this since like before the internet. So it's part of their thing is that this is an old uh, an old thing, but it's very different. Oh, their takecontrolbooks.com website is very pretty. The the books themselves, like I say, they're just they're so simple, simple in terms of structure 
And also they're very smart about th- that's the thing I always liked about them back before the Internet, as you say, because they've always they continue to do the text based tidbits newsletter. And it's just as, a, as somebody who likes structure and outlines, it just makes me happy. And so I, I'm inspired by what they do. And as I, I learned a little later on in my journey, there were other things about what they did that, that made me pretty happy. So I, okay. I, I, I get inspiration from that kind of stuff. Oh, very good. Very good. Okay. So now um, you said you used pages to export to, uh, to EPUB. Now, how, how well did that work? Not so good. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I thought we were all on the page there. I know, right? So did I. Well, and it's funny because Apple provides... Uh, they want you to know that pages can export to EPUB and they actually provide a template that is a book template. They know that everybody's not going to use iBook author. And so there is this template that you can download and you can take your book elements and sort of put them in place and then adjust your styles. And so I would use that and I would build a chapter of the book in pages and then I would export it out and it would look nice. But then when I went to put all the chapters together and export and created a single pages document and I hit that EPUB button and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go now. I'm going to be publishing in two days. This is going to be great. (laughs) And then it came out terrible because things were out of alignment. The images weren't centered. They were aligned to the right. And there are all these things that it was just bad, like formatting. It looked like I was an idiot that I couldn't create a style to save my life. Hmm. And what I found out was that the EPUB, is persnickety in the sense that it's that that it is it needs to everything needs to uh, be verified based on the EPUB standard and page, well, I guess Pages is the one that's persnickety. EPUB is fine, but Pages did not follow the rules very well. Oh. It would because EPUB is based on EPUB is a collection of files. It, 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 an EPUB book is a folder full of files. It includes a cascading style sheet that generates all the formatting for you. It includes binder files. It includes a table of contents. And then each chapter is its own file. And there's a folder full of images. And so what I was able to do with the, the pages file that when it generated this, this EPUB was I was able to open it up as the open up the package contents and look inside. And what I saw inside horrified me because the CSS file specifically was full of, say, like a hundred different styles that it had generated based oh, on my no. work in pages. Where you had maybe five? I, I think I think maybe 15, but yeah, it was. And, oh. and they were all named like S1, S2, S3. Where you and, had carefully named styles, of course. Correct. And you couldn't tell by reading, like, well, which ones can I get rid of because they're not used and which ones can I fix. Anyway, so it was just this huge, and it was so disappointing. It was such a letdown because I really did think, I mean, I had, this book was several hundred pages. And it, I had, oh, had you, it, and you discovered this at that point? Well, so that's the thing. Like I, when I had, I had done a couple of chapters and I thought it was fine. So when I went to, and I had, that had it professionally copy edited, I had a cover designed, I had all this stuff done. Wow. And then at the end, when I did the final EPUB export, it was when the little errors that I had seen cropping up over time couldn't be ignored because they, they were writ multiplied. large. <laughs> yeah, they had multiplied. And mm-hmm. I also, to be honest, hadn't really explored the inner workings of EPUB. And so I didn't know what was broken. And so what I did at that point was I opened up the package contents and I learned how to get inside an EPUB file and figure out what was wrong and said, oh. well, I'm just going to have to hand edit this sucker. There's just no other way. Oh, <laughs> so no. It was terrible. So at that point, I, uh, I, uh, my friend Text Wrangler came into my life, and I've never been the same. I love Text Wrangler. I love BB Edit. Would absolutely solve the same problem. But Text Wrangler was for. And and I, I should point out that when I talk about tools that I use that were free, it's not me just being a cheapskate. 
except that I had a book. I didn't know how many people would buy it. I was, you know, giving my time away until I was selling books. So I wasn't inclined to go out and buy tools. So uh, I would, you know, if, if I found out that BB Edit would do something for me that Pe- Text Wrangler wouldn't have done, I certainly would have purchased it and love to support those guys because I love bare bones. Yeah. But um, Text Wrangler was great. wrong with the right tool. Just because yeah. it happens to be free, right? Sometimes when I really like a free tool and I find I'm using it a lot, I'll just go send them some money anyway. It's not a bad idea. Just like, I, you know, I probably here's 20 bucks, just, you know. <laughs> I, I, they, it's been very good to me. I probably should just cough up for a copy of BB Edit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another way to do it. Yeah. So what I did was I opened up my book in Text Wrangler. And the nice thing about Text Wrangler is you have a, a sidebar where all of the constituent files oh. are there. And then you can be working on a file on the right. And so I had access to everything in my book. But this is also the point at which I realized I needed to know what a proper EPUB looked like. And you can do a lot of Googling and go to the EPUB consortium. But what I really needed was a good example. And so I went back to my friends at Take Control. I had bought some of their books and they're not DRM'd either. And so I was able to unzip an EPUB and look at how the form not only what the constituent parts should be and all the syntax and how to make it correct, but also just how to do it in a well-formed way because it was just all beautiful. You'd look at it and the outlines made perfect sense and the structure was such that you could say, oh, well, this is clearly a subheading of this heading above. This CSS Mm -hmm. is done in such a way in the order that it should be done. You know, body text is first and heading one and heading two and heading three. And so even though it took me longer, what I ended up doing was modeling my repair of my book on the just the beauty of what of what they had done and that is so (laughs) interesting and you think about most authors are probably not geeks i mean you happen to write tech books so it was an obvious jump but imagine a regular human who has this incredible brilliant talent that most of us don't have which is the ability to write a book they wouldn't be able to do this it's well it's true and and looking back on it and had i done it a year later there would have been easier ways to do it. There are better solutions now. And and again, if I had paid for solutions, because what I learned in the course of not only doing this part of the project, but also doing research about EPUB was that people who do this professionally and, and you know, big publishers and people who publish on in the iBook store uh, typically will use Adobe InDesign, which is a great tool. And so you use the desktop publishing functions of InDesign and it has plugins that support EPUB. And so you can design a book the way you would design a paper book and export it out in EPUB. And there's a really good book from Elizabeth Castro called EPUB Straight to the Point, where not only does she tell you all of the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of what your EPUB binder files must contain and how they must be organized and what they must be named, but she also shows you how to do all this in InDesign. So it's kind of cool because you could look at the nitty-gritty that you needed in order to make sure that your meta tags and your headers were correct. But then it would say, you know, if you had InDesign, this would be so much easier. <laughs> but InDesign's it's got the word Adobe on it, so it must cost like a million dollars, right? Well, pretty much. I mean, it's on subscription now, but what's unfortunate is you can't buy a subscription just for a month or two, which I thought would have been a perfect solution because I don't like I, you know, I'm on my fourth edition of this book now. And so in theory, I would just buy a subscription to InDesign for one or two months every year, but that's not available. I have to buy it a year at a time. And so, so this is one of my pet peeves is that people always refer to Adobe's things on a month to month basis and they'll say, oh, well, you know, three months would only cost you 30 bucks for, you know, Photoshop and Lightroom. You can't do that. It's a yearly right. subscription billed monthly. That's not a monthly subscription. Nope. 
It's infuriating. And so I never even considered it. I mean, because- I, don't, I don't not think their model is bad or good. Yeah. I, I think it's a great product and it's and the people love it and everything. But stop calling it a monthly subscription, people. Agreed. Absolutely. Covered. So, yes. So you you've done it the hard way. You've carved it out of out of raw granite now. Did you do that's something? actually the metaphor? It's funny because that's actually a writing metaphor I use all the time because I will <laughs> come out. I will come staggering out of my office at the end of a writing day and, and my husband will ask me, well, how's it going? And I will say I have chipped away at the marble. I can see what it's <laughs> going to look like, but it's not there yet. And that's when a, when a chapter is just starting. It's like this brick of marble that has no form and function. But uh, eventually I uh, get shavings all over the floor and turn it into a chapter. <laughs> <laughs> when it sounds like, I mean, as though writing a book isn't hard enough. This, But this is geek fun. I mean, this sounds kind of cool to me to write my own CSS. and uh, It's super fun having done it. It wasn't fun at the time because I had expectations about when I was going to release the book. I mean, there's oh. a whole timeline piece that, that, that there were delays that were caused that had nothing to do with pages, but had more to do with iOS and, and all that. And so I was already feeling under a gun that I had put at my own head to get this thing out. And so I just, I just can't tell you that that moment when I hit EPUB and the EPUB export in pages just destroyed me because once I figured out how much work it was going to be to fix it, and I just kept working on it and working on it and working on it, I, I was just fighting, trying not to lose momentum was my biggest problem. But having done it, I have beautiful CSS now. And whenever I do an update, I just look at that and I'm like, that is pretty darn good. I'm pretty proud. And I, can I wonder make, if you could sell that CSS. I don't know. I mean, it's specific to what I've done. And, and every that's the other thing. Like every good EPUB has its own CSS. And sometimes there are multiple CSS files that uh, approximate what, what that book is. So I don't know that it has any, any value to anybody else. How about a book just, on how to, do, how to create beautiful CSS to write a book? I did back in the day write about web development, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a little bit meta, but I'd like to know how to do that. That sounds fun. You know, in Programming by Stealth, Bart taught us how to do CSS. So we know what it is. We're not afraid of it. We can say we can say uh, CSS without cringing. I think it'd be fun to know that. The, the great thing about... All the, eight of us would buy that book, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, but see, that's the great thing about the e-format, because back in the day, I would have had to sell somebody on a big old book, right? I mm-hmm. could write. 10, 20, 50 pages and sell it for a dollar or two. Yeah, call and, it a pamphlet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I've had various ideas like that. And once I get this one off my plate, I'm going to be looking around for new projects anyway. So I... I oh, cool. It might happen. So did you give... I, I lost track there. Did you give up on pages for writing your books? Because this... Are, what yes. year are we in now? We're still... Uh, oh, let's see. I'm in 2000. I'm in... Where am I? I'm in 2014 now because, okay. like I say, there are various other. I'm I'm in like the spring of 2014, and it's late in the iOS seven cycle. So I've no late in the iOS six cycle. So mm. where am I now? I'm lost. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I'm late in the cycle. That's all I know. I'm just like I'm. Oh God, it's the springtime. Um, so I'm about to publish the book, and I've got you know I went through. It. it I think it took me about a month to to put it together, and there are many wow. many steps, and I and I had to acquire a lot of little tools that allowed me to to run my EPUB against an e, the EPUB check, uh, which is a little Java program that will tell me will tell me where the errors are, and then I would have to go back and fix them by hand, and I had to do all this stuff. And there are, are many wonderful tools, again, that I found out in the EPUB community that I just could not have done this without. So I, you know, finally got it done, and I finally, again, another great day was when I was able to run the book. You z- what you do is you zip it, you 
run, if you verify it against the EPUB check thing and it tells you whether there are any errors and the day when I opened up the little validation document and there's nothing in there because there's no error, <laughs> it's such a great day. That's the screenshot to keep, right? Make your, that your exactly. desktop background. It's, a, it's an empty text wrangler document. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So that was then that ended up being iOS 7? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I ended up, it ended up being iOS 7. And the, the trick with iOS 7 to just the, the short version of why all this took so long was iOS 7, as from an accessibility point of view, was kind of a disaster because they had changed so much. And so not only did it delay just the writing of the book, but there were a lot of things that I had difficulty with and that was just oh. like visually there were things I was I was just unhappy as a user. In fact, I had a section in my first book. It's gone now, but it was a section called The Woes of iOS 7. And I put in the revision chapter. Shelly Wines. Kind of, kind of. I was, I was, but the thing was, people would come to me. By that time, people knew I was writing the book. And they would come to me and say, I'm low vision. I can't do this. How do I do it? And I would have to shake my head and say, iOS 7 is kind of broken for us right now. Wow. And I remember iOS 7.1 came out. And that actually fixed a lot of the problems. And I dutifully went on a lot of podcasts and talked to a lot of people. And I said, this is the first low vision centric iOS upgrade I've ever seen because they actually did. uh, So did you wait until iOS 7.1 came out to release the book? Nope, nope, nope. I had an iOS 7 book and then I did an update. Oh, okay. So, um, but so, yeah, so, so what, do you, what you, you had the disaster with pages and it creating all this horrible CSS. Did you stop using pages or did you use it? But now with your own CSS. No, I didn't use, no, because there was no way to go back. Because once you had, you know, created EPUB, which was a series of text files, XHTML files and CSS files, I just worked in Text Wrangler, which oh. for a lot of people would be unacceptable because you're not, you have no interface, you're working through tags and, you know, oh, look, there's a bunch of, it's, it's like working in raw HTML. And I had fortunately had enough background doing that, so it didn't bother me that much. And Text Wrangler had syntax checking, so I knew when my tags were broken and I was comfortable. It's not a process I would recommend to anyone else, but it works. But so if you were to write a book from scratch right now, would you start with Text Wrangler? That's a really good question. If I were to do it from scratch right now, I, I'm not sure. I might, I might go, well, if it had a big enough market, I might actually go the InDesign route. I mean, I might write in an office suite of some kind and then export into in design to produce it because that's mm-hmm. the other thing I've, I worked with a copy editor and so I had to have files that I could ship back and forth to her. So she, and I got her using text wrangler. She's not a geek by any means. And it was, it was kind of hilarious. Cause I said, you're, you're not going to like this, but this is what we're going to work in. Wow. <laughs> so she, she's, she's pretty good about it. Actually, she used to be a, an editor at, at, in technical magazines, but she was never technical. She was always the person that would tell us when our commas were in the wrong place, which is why I wanted her to work with me. Cause I knew she was better at it than I was. Um, <laughs> But no, I, I given given like infinite budget and there there are plenty of tools out there that allow you to not necessarily be writing directly in EPUB, but that would let you export into something that would make EPUB. And I think that's what I would do differently. I think given a choice, I I might write in Pages or I might write in LibreOffice or something like that, but not try to do any formatting. Just you know make the book and then find a, there there are more and more export formats are available now than there there used to be. You can export to directly to XHTML or you can export to RTF and then you, you know, building the book and writing the book ought to be separate pieces. And I think that's the thing I would take away from it is that just you know, concentrate on the writing over here and don't worry about building it. 
unless you know know what you're going to build, like create the the structure for the building of the book and create a template that works for you when you're writing, but don't try to build the book while you're so don't writing. Make, don't way. make it pretty while you're doing it. Yeah, don't make it pretty, or don't get hung up on the fact that your table of contents links don't work yet. You know, do okay. that as an endpoint project, stage project. Yeah. Alistair Jenks and I have gone back and forth on this. When I when I write in HTML, part of my process is inserting the images, and I find it really difficult to imagine waiting till the end to put those in. He does it the other way around. He says, "I my concentration is just bang out the text and then back into what it's going to look like." And I think the other way around. I, that would be really hard for me to have to wait. It depends on the content for me. And I, I always have placeholders. And I, I write notes to myself, both in the text and I have, now that I'm doing updates to the book, I have a change log file that's always open. So whenever I've made a change that's of, of substance to book, like adding an image, or if I say I need to add an image here, not only do I comment out a little note to myself in the text where I want the image to go, but I also enter in my change log need to take screenshot of magnifier feature figure 417. So I I talk to myself in text a lot and I find that <laughs> helpful because since it's for what I'm doing is just straightforward screenshots and I know what they're physically going to look like they're going to be in a box they're going to have a caption below them they're not going to interact with the text it's less important for me to see what it looks like in real time but if I were doing something where the text if there was a wrap around design of some kind or where the screenshot was going to affect how the page break happened, I probably would feel the same way. And I mean, like I say, I started out that way. That was the thing about pages. I really liked being able to create and see visually what I was going to get. But it turned out to be more of a hassle and caused other things to break. So I kind of sadly had to give up on that. Hmm. I think for me, it's partly just positive reinforcement along the way is it makes me happy to see the image where it's supposed to be and looking pretty with its little drop shadow and and I've got enough margin around it. It's like when I wax a car, I don't wax the whole car and then buff the whole car off. I do a section and then I buff it off. I do a section, buff it off. I got to get that positive reinforcement partway through. Well, one thing on XHTML, I, I discovered this for the last version of, of the book and I guess I should have mentioned it earlier, but I also use a tool called Mart from Pret Terpstra and it will do essentially a WYSIWYG version of an XHTML file that you're working on, and it will live update. So whenever you save the file, you can see what it's going to look like. So if I've created a screenshot and I've put it in the right place so that it will be exposed in the HTML, then whenever I save it, I'll, I'll see it updating live in a WYSIWYG view over in the window on the right. So I, I do that. that and, so that, I thought he only did, Brett Terpster only did um, Markdown. No, this one's called Marked, and it can read Markdown documents but it'll also give you a WYSIWYG representation of, you know, marked of tagged text. So it'll do markdown, it'll do HTML, it'll do, like I say, in this case, XHTML. But it's really, it's cool. And it, I, my version, <laughs> my version of getting positive reinforcement is that when I complete a section and I've added the screenshots and I've linked them properly, I'll go over into marked and I'll hit print command so I can see how many pages it is now that I've added four screenshots. Oh, look, I have an extra page and that makes me feel good. <laughs> that's a, that sounds like something I might like. I, I'm not a fan of Markdown, so I sort of immediately uh, uh, don't go to Brett Terpster's stuff. So, but that might be, uh, I, I just found it and put a link in the show notes. So that'll be, that's cool. 
I, I like it a lot. And I didn't realize because I, I actually got to be on a podcast with Brett and I, I liked him a lot. And he talked about his stuff and he, he I believe he talked about Marked in terms of Markdown. And I kind of had the same feeling you did, because even though I've read a lot about Markdown and I know people who swear by it, I've just never gotten into it. And I probably could actually for, for the books, I probably could work in Markdown, but I'm so used to what I have and I have such <laughs> mature templates that it would feel like I was going off. To, I, I don't like going off to learn something and taking time away from actually producing content. And so I always have trouble figuring out, well, should I go and build a new process or learn how to do a new thing in order to save myself time later? Or should I just keep doing what I'm doing? And often I keep doing what I'm doing. That's just the always learn a new tool. <laughs> I, I like, yeah, I mean, I, I like learning stuff, but I don't like not producing anything while I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, you and your productivity stuff. Um, <laughs> so uh, while we've been talking, I just uh, downloaded, he's got a free trial and it's available in the Mac store, uh, Mac app store for 10 bucks. So that's, uh, I'm going to go write a book while you keep talking. Okay. Awesome. Good. Because <laughs> no I problem. just did a clean install and I've already boogered up my system with something I'll probably never use, but maybe oh, you. you never know. I might write a that book. Sounds you great. don't know. <laughs> and you'll be able okay. to see how pretty it looks. Yeah. So okay. So you've got you've got a book written. You've got an EPUB format. You've got no errors on your little text wrangler window. Now, how do you make it go? Like, so I knew sell it and publish. I knew it. I wanted to sell it on my website, and I knew I would probably sell it on the iBook store too. But the first thing I had to do was get a website built. I I had hired a designer and asked her, "Would you design me a website? And would you design me a book cover?" And she did those things. But the website design, while very pretty, I felt like it was going to have some accessibility issues because it was it wasn't even so much that that you couldn't read it with a screen reader. It was that the organization was very visual, very attractive site. But I didn't feel like I could take the time to sort of train her up in what it needed to have needed to be in order to be not only accessible, but, you know, logically uh, organized for a screen reader user. So I just ended up building a WordPress site, which I had done a thousand times before. And I took the cover design that she made for me, which I use and I like a lot. And I ended up building this WordPress site. And like I say, I knew that I wanted to sell it on the site. And so I had three pieces to contend with. I had the front end, which is you high knock on my storefront and you want to buy the book, you have to punch a button. And then the middle part of that is I'm going to sell the book. So there has to be some sort of gateway where I can take credit cards. And the back end of that is I have to fulfill download requests. So I had three pieces to figure out. And I ended up, I figured that what I needed to do first was figure out how people were going to download the book and see what interaction that server, whatever service I picked for that would have with the gate, with the money gateways part. So I ended up choosing a tool called Fetch App. It's at fetchapp.com. And what they do is they charge you a monthly fee to host media files. And then you can let people download them or you can sell the it's intended for you to be able to sell it but sell media files and their fee is just a straight flat monthly rate and then they have commerce gateways that you connect to your download fulfillment and then you go to the commerce gateway side i chose paypal because i could do both paypal payments and credit card payments and then i generated some buttons from paypal and i put them on my website and with a plug-in from fetch app I was able to let you punch a button on my site, which would take you to PayPal where you could pay for the book. And then Fetch app would automatically generate an email that would say, here's where you go to download your book. So oh, that was OK. I was wondering why you didn't just host the, the media files yourself, because, I mean, those can't be that big. No, I, I got to sell them, though. It, they, they, I, I didn't know very much at the time and still don't really about 
how to make the financial gateway interaction work. And because oh, right, FetchApp right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it no, possible, it sounds like this is perfect. Yeah, and I could keep track of downloads. Also, FetchApp will let you do things like generate different emails for different circumstances. So if I wanted to update the book, all I would have to do is say, send an update to the list. Tell Here's, here's a link where they can download the file. Uh, FetchApp also has a neat feature where you can let your customers download the file directly or they can download it directly into their into their Dropbox. So I thought that was kind of a fun thing. And it's super cheap. It's like five bucks a month. It's based on how many megabytes you, you store there. And my book is like five megabytes, so it's hardly any oh, down sweet. time. And yeah, people FetchApp can't never understand how small text is. Oh, it's tiny. Well, the, it's the screen. Actually, it's funny because uh, when Becky Crockett designed my cover, she gave me a very high-res version. And so I just instinctively took that high-res the high-res JPEG and put it in the book file. And I realized that the, the cover <laughs> was half the size of the whole download. <laughs> and, and I had to change it because iTunes has limit, or iBooks has limitations on uh, not file size, but the, the size of the cover. Image image. Says, yeah. Right. And so I had I ended up changing it. And there was no reason for it to be that high resolution. People I'm trying to remember. Hours. I had something in the front end of my RSS feed that was something just like this. And I didn't know it was there for years. And somebody at uh, the CSUN's Persons with Disabilities Expo told me that they had a terrible time downloading my show to go, that they couldn't fit it on their on their um, audio player because it was too big. And I was like, how can it be too huh. big? I mean, it's a text file for crying out loud. I forget what I had in there, but it was something. Oh, it was the logo image. And I had accidentally put in an image. I am not making this up. That was 6,000 by 6,000 pixels. Oh my God. <laughs> and I didn't know it. And so my, my, my RSS file was like 20 times bigger than it needed to be. It had no value for anybody. And the blind couldn't listen to the show. Nice. Now, who would have thought that the image file that was sitting in there would wreck it for a blind, uh, blind reader? It, it was right. You got to watch that stuff. Those images. It's, it's true. It's true. I was kind of amazed when I zipped the book up and realized it was you know all the stuff I had worked on. The, the first edition was like 565 pages, and it's like three megabytes. <laughs> <laughs> Your value must be really low if it's not a lot of megabytes, right? <laughs> I well, that's kind of what I thought. I think at the time it was like 115,000 words is probably the best way to put it. It's a big. Big wow. honker. The, uh, <laughs> the thing I, I notice often is you'll find people, in, and I fall into the trap myself going, okay, I, God, I'm really running out of disk space. And you'll open up your documents folder and start going, okay, that letter to Aunt Susie, I probably don't need that anymore. You know what? Look at your text file documents as an entire thing. And if you've got a half a gig, then you've just been carrying everything your entire life. That's the most it can possibly be. Right. But well, the you know, book, go it's check funny out those because- movies you forgot you downloaded. But before I really did much in the cloud, I would have the book on my home machine, my, my, my iMac, because that's where I mostly worked. And then I started doing more. And I would actually essentially, this is embarrassing, but I would essentially sneaker net it to my laptop. Well, I literally used Ethernet, but I would copy it over or I would copy it to my iPad in some way, the individual files that I was working on. But I'm just, I was just astonished at how how little time it took or how little space it took. It was just so irrelevant. And now I'm all iClouded up and everything works just fine because there's hardly any issues as far as, oh, we have to wait for that file to download. I mean, it's just text, just little text files. Yeah, I mean, you could be on dial-up and still get that done without any trouble. Perish the thought, but yeah. Yeah, really. (laughs) So uh, what else did you have to do? So you've now got a book, you've got a way to pay for it from your website, but now how do you make it go into, uh, is it on Amazon? Is it on uh, Apple site and iBooks? What would you do? 
So I launched it initially on my website. I had made a lot of contacts in the accessibility community where I figured most of my customers would be. And it was partly intentional because I wanted to be able to do gradual rollout in case there were issues, which as it turned out was a good idea. And also because I kind of wanted the ability to promote it multiple times. So if I release it on my website, hey, it's launch day. Here's the pre I had opened pre-orders before launch day. So people got their downloads that morning. I sent out comp copies that morning. And then I put out on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else, hey, the book is available and people could come and get it. And then my next plan was I, I'm going to bundle it up and put it on the iBook store as well. And so that's what I did. I, I think it was about a month later because in the intervening time, uh, I did have, there were a few glitches. There were a few blind users who had difficulty downloading it directly onto their iOS device because, as I found out, there are a couple of uh, inconsistencies about the way the, script, uh, the way voiceover tells you what's going on when you're trying to download to your Dropbox. And so actually I had to write an FAQ about that in order to make it easier for blind users to deal with. And then I had a few people who wrote to me and said, it's not, this doesn't work. Your file is broken. I was like, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'm trying to read this EPUB and my EPUB reader of choice, which is a screen reader supported e-reader on uh, Windows, and it doesn't work. And I mm. found out that there was a weird issue that didn't affect iBooks or any of the uh, screen readers or any of the uh, EPUB readers that I had tested on that affected this thing called QRead, which is an accessible e-reader, EPUB reader in the Windows format. And so I had to go and fix it and do a 1.0.1 so that it would work. People were mad. It yeah, was weird. Well, I bet. They had paid their $20 an... and they were mad at me. They were like, <laughs> how dare you put out a non-accessible book? And I was like, oh, that's not what I planned. <laughs> <laughs> well, I and, know how mad people are with free stuff. So I can't oh, imagine yeah. if you'd pay 20 bucks. I mean, that's practically like you owe them a child, right? Pretty much. Well, and I, I really took customer service very seriously because I... I was a little afraid. The worst thing that could happen is that somebody would go on Twitter and say, she took my $20 and I didn't get something that I expected. Especially an accessible problem, mm -hmm. right? That's like the worst thing that could have happened with a book about accessibility. Yeah. So I did that. I just just made this accessibility book and it's a a JPEG. (laughs) Right. Not good. Well, speaking of which, uh, the next thing that happened was that people wanted a PDF version. And I want to give you a little bit of background about that. So in the accessibility community, uh, a lot of doc. Well, if, if you're working in, in government entities or if you're working in other places where there are a lot of folks uh, who are blind or visually impaired, there are a lot of PDFs out there in the world, uh, either because that's the default format that government documents are in or because when they scanned them, they put them into PDFs and they put them into what's called a tagged PDF, which makes the text accessible to a screen reader as opposed to a sort of a random PDF that you could create with any app that might or might not be not much better than a JPEG. And so there are a lot of people who are used to reading PDFs and who have readers out there that will, in fact, strip the text out of PDFs and put them into an app that they like or that will just read the PDF correctly because it's been tagged for accessibility purposes. Huh. So, so I didn't know. I mean, I knew that accessible to PDFs existed, but I, I felt about PDFs the way I feel about fax machines. It's old technology. Let's not bother. But I was schooled by my customers, and they said, no, we want a PDF version. And I tried to, I talked to them, I tried to talk them out of it. It's like, no, you don't, that's not something you want, right? Yeah, what's the advantage of using that over using an EPUB? To be honest, it's familiarity. Because hmm. an issue that you have in the accessibility community, I guess in any community of, of technology users, is that you have people who are not particularly sophisticated or for whom familiarity is more important than the best technology. And Personally, I, th- I, was- I think that's a, a, a DNA thing. I think that's a, a one or a zero in people's brains. It's not age-related. It's not, not 
anything to do with, uh, it might have some to do with environment, how they were brought up, but I don't think it has any, I think it's a one or a zero. Cause I've known my buddy, Harry at 91 was one of the greatest geek curiosity people you've ever met. So is my mother. And I've met 20 year olds who don't want to learn how to, for me, how to use Facebook live, you know? So I, th- I think there's a one and a zero, but I know I probably wouldn't have been as patient with those people. I would have said, Hey, move forward, moving along. Bye-bye. I tried that. I really did. And in <laughs> fact, I, I talked to people I had, I, I met so many great people in the accessibility community. And I, by that time I had a back channel because I had sent some stuff out to be tech edited by people who, I wanted to see whether they felt like I was getting it right and had enough detail. And so I had a back channel of friends and I would say to them, should I even entertain this? What do you think? Most of them said, don't do it. Most of them said, just, just go on. But I got what what I felt like was a groundswell of just people who were like, I want it in PDF. And I uh, had to figure out how to do it, to be honest, because at the time, and it's, it's not this way now, but at the time, if, if you Googled up convert EPUB to PDF, there was hardly anything. Plenty of people convert PDFs to EPUBs, interestingly enough. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of tools out. There wasn't a lot of interest in having it done. You would think there would be. Uh, but basically, I did it, I had an old copy of Adobe Acrobat, and I knew that one of the things that's in Acrobat is an accessibility checker. You can run your PDF through it. Unfortunately, it was so old, and it was such a, Acrobat is not a friendly app in any case. Adobe and I just did not get along on this project in any regard, uh, so it didn't really do what I wanted it to do. I didn't really know how to use it well, to be honest. So it took me the first time I did it for the first version of the book, it took me a couple of weeks to actually basically hack and slash my way to an accessible PDF. That was the other thing. I could not release a PDF unless it was 100% accessible. 99 was oh, not yeah. good enough. And I was, I was like, I, and I told my friends we were in our Slack back channel, I would say, I'm never doing this again. I did it once. <laughs> People better buy it. I'm never doing it again. <laughs> Would you like to guess how what percentage of my customers buy PDF versions? Oh, of no. Less than 1%? 20. 20%? 20%. Oh, my. I have to make PDFs. God. crazy. Oh, wow. I, I, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm, yeah. I was really stunned. Now, eventually, I developed a much more streamlined workflow, and now I can do it in a matter of a couple of days. And because I've done it, I can do it. I hadn't done it at the time. And having gone through all the stuff I had gone through to get the EPUB, you talk about whining. That was the point when I was whining. (laughs) I was just, I wanted somebody to tell me it was okay not to do it. But they did it in, the people who did, did it in such a way that I was like, I don't know if I can trust you. I better do it. I'm afraid. And so I went and did it. And, you know, I'm I'm not glad I did it, but I did it. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a story. That's, that's really amazing. Yeah. And, and the thing, too, is when you go back and do PDFs, you're concerned about things that you would normally be concerned about only in print, like widows and orphans at the tops of pages and how chapters break across pages and margins and stuff like that. So that was a whole nother. I had to come up with a I essentially came up with a LibreOffice template that matched what my EPUB was. And so the EPUB, once it's completely finished, gets exported to a tool called EPUB Converter, which converts it to RTF which I then open in LibreOffice in my template for the book, and then I export it out as tagged PDF, and that's how I do it. That's oh, not how okay. I did it the first so time. So you've got it that's down. I do. now, I have, now I have a workflow. I actually had to write that down because the, the second time I did it, I had forgotten. It had been a year, 
And so after I did it, I wrote a document that says, here, dummy, this is how you do this. Because I forgot. <laughs> oh, wow. It was, it was crazy. And then so a couple weeks after that, then I, I was able. So when I got the EPUB out, I was able to go out and again and say, hey, here's the PDF. Uh, and then a couple weeks after that, I put it on the iBook store. So I kind of cheated my way into having three promotional opportunities within a month of the book. And um, it's, it was, it's been great. And in the iBook store, I eventually did this thing where I cr- took subsections of the book that were, there's a big chapter on apps that are included with iOS. And some of those app sections are quite involved and have quite specific accessibility features discussed. And so I broke those out as individual little EPUBs that are something like 10 to 20 pages. And I sell those for a dollar on the iBook store. And I did it just to see if anybody would buy them. And they do. People like them. So there's a little chapter on maps. Wait. There's a little chapter on mail. Wait, these are sp- just single chapters? Yeah, they're not. Actually, they're sections of a chapter. And, and I sell them for a buck, right? So they're... Oh, and I, interesting. And, I, and I'm always very clear this is material that is in the book. If you buy the complete book, you will get this material. I don't want to cheat you, but if you would like to see whether you like my book or not, you can buy this for a dollar or you can go to the website and or download it. Or maybe you only want set. that, right? Maybe that's yeah. all you need to know. Here's a right. dollar. Well, here's, here's what's funny. I, the, the thing about it that surprised me the most, uh, I, there was a, a woman who has a radio show in Los Angeles that they cover accessibility exclusively. It's a weekly show and she's had me on to talk about the book a few times. And uh, we finished our interview at one point and she said, Shelly, you know, the, the thing, the section, the thing that I like that you did the most is you actually took time to write up the phone app in detail. I was like, really? You like that? I, you know, I just did it as a matter of course. It wasn't, but she said there were things in there that I learned that I didn't know. And that gave me the idea to just make them little bitty bite-sized chapters that people could have. And it was easy for me to make them. I came up with a workflow for that. They're just EPUBs that are miniature versions of the book. And, you know, I sell a few of them. I don't sell a lot, but I... Sometimes people helps, want one slice of cake, not a whole cake. Kind of. <laughs> and then similarly, I put a free chapter on the website so you can have the Siri chapter for free. And the, the reason I picked the Siri chapter is it's not specific to a kind of disability. Everybody uses Siri and the commands are in there. And I have some accessibility specific stuff in that chapter. But you can look at the chapter. You can decide whether you like it. And you can also get free cake. Oh, come uh, on. With Siri, the cake is a lie. Siri doesn't work. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I haven't put that. I should. That should be the first line of the introduction. The cake, <laughs> is a lie. cake is a lie. You get what you pay for. <laughs> Enjoy your free cake. <laughs> so you're not on Amazon, though, right? Well, no, I'm not. Because one of the things I learned from the Guy Kawasaki book and that I proved out when I investigated it further later is that Amazon is not friendly to individual publishers. They do not want you to charge. I charge 20 bucks for my book. And I think it's worth it. To be honest, I think I could probably charge a little more, but it's a good, happy medium. Amazon won't let me charge 20 bucks for a book and still make a decent royalty. I can charge $10 for a book and make a royalty that's about equivalent to the percentage that I make on Apple, on iBooks. Really? But it's $10 is kind of their ceiling. You can... There are ways you can do it, but you, unless you sell a lot of them, you make less in royalties. And so huh. uh, every once in a while, somebody asks me about Amazon. But since I have it available on my site as well as iBooks, it seems so counterintuitive. You would think every book in the universe should be on Amazon. But Wait, Did you I forget actually, to sign up for the uh, Collusion Club or something? <laughs> Apparently, I did. <laughs> 
That's I, I really get interesting. Like, so you would make stuff. the same amount of money if you sold it for 10 bucks on Amazon, but then nobody would buy it for 20 bucks. Right. And, right. but they won't let you, that is really it's weird. insane. It's really insane. And I mean, it's, you know, Amazon, even big publishing companies always used to complain about how much Amazon makes them discount stuff. But I just, I worked too hard on this thing to, yeah. I felt like I, I actually headed up there for a test for a while to see if I would sell any copies. I didn't promote it because obviously, cause it was cheaper, but I just wanted to see like if people would look up accessibility and find it and would buy it. I think I sold five. Mm-hmm. So like I made no money whatsoever. And, um, you know, I, I, could I make it up in volume? If it were a mainstream topic, yes. If it was that CSS book we were talking about, I probably could make it up in volume. I'd absolutely do that. Yeah. I have a friend who has written novels that he sells for $2 on Amazon, and I'm astonished because I'm like, dude, you put so much time and effort into that book. He says, yeah, but I can make it up in volume if I can get people interested in it. Yeah, the, the thing is people are willing to pay more for instruction. I mean, that's a, that's a different thing than I want to be entertained for a month. Or, well, right. it takes me a month to read a novel, uh, two weeks for a normal human. Uh, and, you know, that's different. I mean, you know, I, I don't think I'd pay even 10 bucks for a, for a novel is too much for me. Eight bucks maybe for, to be entertained for a few weeks. But this is learning that's going to help you for years. And that's different. That is absolutely different. We pay. That's why textbooks are more. Well, there's other reasons sure. for that too. That yeah, delusion, yeah, yeah. but right, right, it's it's a it's a different beast when you're going to learn. It, I mean, it's part of the model of why people uh, pay for Don McAllister's screencast online. You're paying right. to have instruction that will help you in your life get things done. So that's different. That it should not be ten bucks. That doesn't make any sense yeah. at all to me. And, and it's super specific. Like if you if you need the book, if you want the book because this is a topic that is of interest to you or that determines how you can use your devices, it's absolutely worth it. I've never had anyone complain about the price. And I've the Kindle, put it on Kindles sales can open EPUB books, right? Huh? Kindles can open EPUB books. Yes. Yeah, you can open it with the Kindle app. You can open it in Kindle. I, I, it's easy to convert EPUBs to Mobi. I found that out too. Or what is the new format? It's not Mobi. It's uh, Kindle three or whatever they call it. But mm. yes, they, they can, they can open EPUB books, but you can also convert over. Um, but I've, I've never had anybody complain about the price of the book. I've put it on sale a few times as a promotional thing, which has actually worked out really well for me. But I, I actually this time considered increasing the price, but I felt like I should wait until I added a substantial amount of new material. I mean, every OS, you update it and you include everything that Apple has added. But I feel like unless I unless it's a huge OS update, that wouldn't really be fair to people. Yeah, to, maybe you like, could add left-handed users to it. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something twisted about you. Okay, I have one last question before we yeah. go. How do you do updates to this book? So the nice thing about Fetch App is if, if, if I make an update, in my EPUB file, which I can do and then easily, you know, zip it up and put it up on Fetch app. Whoever buys the book new is going to get the new update. I can also kick off an update from Fetch app so that everybody who has bought the books gets gets a note that they can download the update and says, hey, there's a free update, 1.0.1. I've collected errata. I've added, you know, 10.1 or whatever the latest version of the operating system is. So I try to bundle the updates. And then in iBooks, it's super easy because once you've bought it, if I upload a new copy of the book to iBooks, the update just becomes available. So and that's how do people easy. know that you did those changes to go back and reread sections? From well, iBooks? that's the hard part because I don't usually in the email, I will say these are the kinds of updates I've made. I don't mention the typos I fixed, but I do say, 
I think I did. I've never, those are never paid updates. The only updates I charge for are between whole number OS updates. So nine to 10 that like, but I will in the email from fetch app, I will usually say what the update is. And I, iTunes, iBooks producer, which is how you upload files to the iBook store does have a facility for what's new in this version. So I'll usually do bullet points if it's something other than that's why I don't just, but you can't directly contact those customers the way you can, if they got it through your website. Well, no, and that's a problem because what I do before, but once Apple has introduced the operating system, once it's available to people, I say you can have, you can buy the book now and you get the upgrade to the new operating system as soon as I publish the book and you get that upgrade for free. So that encourages people to not feel like they have to wait. Oh, they buy okay, it now. right, right. Because if you know and, iOS 10 is coming out, you, right. you can buy right, it. Right, you and, might wait. So you set so, a threshold date kind of like three months before or something? Well, I always... The free up when when WWDC comes around and they tell us we're going to get a new OS, I always do a blog post and I promote and I say, when Apple releases iOS 10, there will be a new edition of the book. So I say that. And then when Apple does release iOS 10, I have a mailing list. And then I also go through all the social media and I say, if you buy the book now, you can have the upgrade free when which is a full new book. It's not just updated stuff. But when iOS 10 is released, you're on my list. You will get and I always give those updates first. So when iOS 10 or when my book is ready this week, it's almost done. uh, The first people that will get it are the people that have bought the book between mid-September and now. And then and then um, and that and then then they know that they're future proofed a little bit that way. It it encourages them not to feel like they have to wait and they can buy the iOS 9 book during the month it's taking me to put together the update. Now, did you think about doing discounts for people who had already bought the previous version? I thought about it, and I guess because I kind of decided that because the price point was pretty reasonable, that I didn't feel great pressure to do that. Okay, and um, like you said, it's a whole new book. It's not that you edited edited sections. I, yeah, I'm not giving you loose leaf bound pages that you have to paste into your book like <laughs> they used to do. Um, no, it's a it's a whole new book, and and it's structurally the same as the existing book. Except like for, for the OS 10 edition, I did reorganize a few things and I actually added a what's new section this time. I've never really done that because people always ask me what's new in OS 10 and I've been working with it so long that I always forget the minor points. <laughs> so this time I actually put it in the book. The only time I can ever remember what's new is when I go back and I try to use somebody else's machine on an older version going, wait, right? why is the scroll oh, going the other way? What that, the heck that is that? That button is not where it is it used to be, is it? <laughs> All right, Shelley, this has been really interesting. I, I learned a lot and uh, and I really, really liked it. Uh, for those listening, you can find Shelley on Twitter at Shelley, which is spectacular. And her book is at iOSaccessbook.com. Anything else you wanted to plug before we go? Well, I have a podcast called The Parallel, which is a podcast where I bring a tech folks together. Sometimes they're from the accessibility community, sometimes not. I just recorded the first episode of season two yesterday. Allison has been on the Parallel before. And you can look forward to more episodes and you can find that at parallelpodcast.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Shelly. Anytime you want to come back, you want to talk to me about, uh, you know, how you do grout cleaning, I'd have you on the show for that. I love (laughs) talking to you. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. 
I love feedback, so please send me email at allison at podfeed.com, and you can join in our Facebook group over at podfeed.com slash Facebook, and our community at podfeed.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening, and stay subscribed.